0: News Talk 1110 wbt The Pete Callender Show. And uh, joining me on the program now is Dr. Andy Jackson. He is the director of the John Locke Foundation's Civitas Center for Public Integrity. Welcome back to the program, Andy. How are you?
1: It is good to exist.
0: All right. <laughs> That's right. You don't really exist until you get the recognition on the other end of the line. Okay, so uh, first off, you got a couple pieces I wanted to run through with you. The first is, uh, let's go out to the... Uh, 11th District, North Carolina, uh, congressional race, Madison Cawthorn trying to keep his seat in the Republican primary. There has been this sort of Operation Chaos that uh, Rush Limbaugh uh, tried to do back uh, against Hillary Clinton years and years ago, where uh, in the 11th District race, you've got uh, this push to get Democrats to register unaffiliated and then go over and vote in the Republican primary to vote against Madison Cawthorne to try to get rid of him in the primary. So you looked at this and you say there are two basic questions, right, that have to be answered if this effort is going to be successful. Uh, so what are those two two basic questions, those uh, well, conditions? Right.
1: Well, the first one is it has to be close, um, and it has to be uh, close enough that either uh, Cawthorn doesn't make the 30% that he needs or more likely that some other candidate is, kind of within range and then the extra votes from these folks coming over from the democratic, uh, sides to vote will put that candidate over the top. Um, and the other one is that there has to be sufficient numbers to help him make that help, you know, that candidate make that happen. And so uh, the question is you have to do make both of those things happen. And the problem of course is, well, the problem is that the folks there are not really operating, uh, under what we call strategic voting, strategic voting is where you vote for some candidate you normally wouldn't support, but in order to get what you want. Um, And so what they've done is they said, well, we're going to cross over and we're going to vote against Madison Cawthorn. But so far, they have refused to vote for the candidate that looks to be the most likely to defeat him, which is Chuck Edwards, a, a state legislator. Uh, that is running against them. Instead, they're voting for uh, somebody, uh, Wendy Navarez, who is mired in the single digits. I mean, they may feel better uh, about themselves for voting for her instead of Edwards, but she has no hope of beating Cawthorn. So this attempt to vote strategically to affect the outcome of the election, the way they're conducting is just illogical.
0: Yeah. So uh, the two conditions, the race has to be close, you said, and mm-hmm. most of those oh, crossover have to, votes have to go to the main challenger, who is Chuck Edwards.
1: Chuck Edwards. I mean, by all measures, you know, by support, by polling data, uh, it's Chuck Edwards. And they're just not, uh, they, well, they just don't like Chuck Edwards. Um, and they're kind of defeating the purpose of crossing over in the first place. They, if, I mean, if they're going to do it this way, they might as well have stayed home, voted in the Democratic primary for somebody that they actually like and
0: other races in the Democratic primary that they would have been able to vote in as well, um, sure. rather than going over and, and you know voting in Republican primaries where you may not like any of the candidates and maybe leave them all blank. Um, so the first condition was, is it close? So is it close?
1: If you had asked me this even a month ago, I would have said no, but it's looking closer and closer. Uh, Cawthorn had gotten down into the upper 30s. And that was the last poll that I had seen. um, And that was several weeks ago. So the trajectory is him getting down, you know, close into the low 30s. So uh, and if and Edwards was in the low 20s, if he moves up, he's basically within striking distance. If those trends that we saw earlier uh, are continuing, you know, maybe two, three percent between them. And once again, if and I did a little back of the envelope calculation. I think we're looking at maybe two, maybe 3000 people that had crossed over from the Democratic party, uh, that can vote in the Republican primary. I don't know if all of them will do that. Um, but if they do, that could be the difference that you're looking right there at about three or 4% of the expected turnout, but they're just apparently not going to do it.
0: So if they're not voting for Edwards, they're voting for Navarez, who you say in your piece at the John Locke Foundation's website, JohnLocke.org, you say that Navarre's is a moderate who may be what progressives think is a good Republican. If you are a progressive voter in the Republican pri- uh, primary, Nevarez would likely be your sincere vote. The problem is casting a sincere vote defeats the purpose of voting out Cawthorne. But what about depriving Cawthorne of the 30 percent uh, does this have any impact if people are coming in and voting for Navars does that then reduce his his percentages of the total vote and force a runoff that way
1: it can um, that's possible but it's a much less efficient way of doing it and mm. I haven't done the full calculation but um, I would just off the top of my head you're looking at you would need about three or four more votes uh, per voter to kind of get the pool higher so that California doesn't break that 30 percent, a much more efficient way would be to vote for the candidate that's closest to beating him.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Rather than, yeah, to take that 3 percent, as you said, and and pile it into Chuck Edwards. Uh, but like you said, they don't they don't like Chuck Edwards. And everybody knows also that whoever comes out of this primary on the Republican side is probably going to win the general. So right. it, and,
1: and- Certainly, the Democrats believe that that are crossing over. Otherwise, they wouldn't have crossed over. Right.
0: Exactly. Uh, real quick. Let's look at uh, the, the vote totals for uh, for the state, for the uh, and I thought this was pretty amazing. Your uh, colleague at uh, Carolina Journal, um, David Larson, he ran the numbers, I guess, and talked with you about these numbers. So we've got uh, more than half a million votes in early voting And uh, do you know what the breakdowns look like for who's asked for a Democrat ballot and who has asked for a Republican ballot?
1: Yeah, we have that. It's about 291,000 have asked for Democrat, uh, 285,000 have asked for Republican. It's really unusual for early voting to be that close. Uh, Usually Democrat ballot requests are much higher just because Democrats tend to come out for early voting. Republicans, generally speaking, like to stick with Election Day comparatively. And this is almost totally driven by the unaffiliated voters because they have, uh, when they've been requesting their ballots, about 62 percent of those have asked for a Republican ballot. It's even bigger in the 11th, where about 70 percent of unaffiliated have asked for a Republican ballot.
0: And so how does that buck the prior
1: trends? Well, the prior trend had been um, that Democrats would generally pull in uh, maybe not quite two-thirds, but they would be a much higher proportion. Um, a quick example, uh, in 2018, that uh, total ballot requests for Democrats um, were about closer to 60%, and they certainly were a larger proportion of the electorate. Uh, and so that's what we're, we're seeing kind of uh, uh, all across this, is that all over the state, with a few minor, with a few exceptions in districts where there are active or rep- Democratic congressional races, mm-hmm. that Republicans are, are ahead of where they were at this point in 18 or in 16.
0: So the assumption being if they also turn out on Election Day, in addition to these early voting numbers that they're getting largely from unaffiliated, then it's quite possible this is a very good, uh, a very good uh, primary, but also a very good November for them.
1: Uh, potentially, because it shows interest in the election. Um, We don't want to uh, read too much into this. There could be people that are just very interested in the election, and Democrats know that Sherry Beasley is going to win. Anyhow, that's the most interesting race statewide, and so they're just staying home, but they will come in November. But certainly if you would rather have more people voting in your primary than less people. Yeah.
0: Dr. Andy Jackson, the director of the John Locke Foundation's Civitas Center for Public Integrity. Thanks so much, Andy. I appreciate it. We'll talk with you probably after the election, if that's All right. Uh, Oh, that'd be great. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. (music) News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Thanks again to Dr. Andy Jackson from the John Locke Foundation and the the Civitas Center for Public Integrity. That's part of the John Locke Foundation. And yes, by the way, there used to be Civitas and there used to be John Locke Foundation and they merged. Well, I mean, they still... I mean, there still is John Locke, but they merged together a couple years ago. Um, so in this piece by David Larson, at Carolina Journal, he's going over the early voting numbers. Uh, this is statewide. So there were 577,000 early votes cast. And of the 577,000, 50.3% of them were on the Democratic ballots and 493 were Republican ballots. So 50.3 to 49.3. So one percentage point difference in the ballots cast. For comparison, if you go back to 2020, 68% of the early ballots requested were for the Democratic primary. So two-thirds of the ballots back in 2020. Now it's 50%. That's an eighteen point sort of erosion in the ballots cast for Democrats uh between the two primaries, now, as Andy Jackson pointed out, uh you know everyone kind of assumes that Sherry Beasley is going to be the uh coronated winner of the Democratic primary, so maybe they feel like they don't have to go vote, and it's just not that interesting of a contest, whereas on the Republican side, there is an interesting contest, and maybe that's the Allure, Um, he says uh, it's an interesting race at the top of the ticket and that drives the turnout. But either way, you've got way more Republicans participating in early voting in this primary than they have before. So what does that mean at the at the state level? Well, you've got your U.S. Senate races and the like. But at the local level, right, you've got now people who are able to amass a following. I'm thinking, for example, Charlotte City Council uh, candidates that are running. You got the slate of the uh, four Republicans. They could benefit from that increased turnout. And by the way, this is part of the strategy that uh, Republicans require in order to be successful at a state level. Is North or Mecklenburg uh, County has a huge number of Republican voters and Republican voting unaffiliated voters. And they need those voters to turn out. There's, um, I have it in the stack of stuff here. It's somewhere memory serves. It's somewhere between 100 to 200 thousand Republican voters that they need to turn out, even if they can't win a seat or multiple seats at city council at county commission. But they need those votes for the statewide races. It's vital that Republicans are able to turn out local voters. In Mecklenburg, even if you can't get Republicans uh, elected to the local races, and some of that is just the uh, the clustering of Democrats in the the urban core, and it's not just Charlotte; it's also Raleigh and Durham, Asheville, right? So they they, they pack themselves into uh, the cities, but there are still a whole bunch of voters that need to turn out in order to help the statewide and the federal races. With a larger percentage of Republican registered voters still likely to vote on election day when compared with Democrat registered voters, the current numbers could signal a larger overall turnout in the 2022 primaries. So this also goes to all right. carve out the people that are going to vote, uh, like, for example, against Madison Cawthorne. They're, re- they're Democrats. They're registering unaffiliated to go vote against Cawthorne in that primary. All right. They're not going to vote for Republicans Uh, In the general. Right. But think of the unaffiliated voters who are asking for Republican ballots and they are now voting for people in those races. Come general election time, if those people that the unaffiliated voted for, if those folks uh, end up going to the general election, those unaffiliated are going to see their names again on the ballot. And there does become this sort of uh, attraction, if you will, uh, between the voter and that candidate They feel a little bit of, you know, vested interest. I got them into the general election, so I'm going to go ahead and vote for them again. I'm talking unaffiliated. It's not the Democrats who are leaning Democrats. Like, if you're going in and you're truly unaffiliated and you're like, give me the Republican ballot. I want to vote for uh, some of the more interesting races. And you see some of these people on the ballot. You vote for them. And then in November, you see them again. You may be more inclined to give them support in November. We shall see. News Talk eleven ten, ninety nine three WBT, the Pete Callender Show, seven oh four five seven oh eleven ten, one eight hundred WBT eleven ten. You know what? I'm I so he doing this. Yeah, I mean, I just, I do not want to join this live with the president because I have a feeling he's just going to demagogue and divide. But all right, let's dial it up and let's take a listen. What's the president saying in Buffalo? See
2: that we're all part of the divine. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's the America I know, that Jill knows. And most deserve the most. We, de- we Look. We're the most multiracial, most dynamic nation in the history of the world. Now is the time for the people of all races, from every background, to speak up as a majority in America and reject white supremacy. These who, actions who isn't rejecting we've white seen supremacy? in these hate-filled attacks represent the views of a hate-filled minority. We can't allow them to distort America, the real America. We can't allow them to destroy the soul of the nation. As President of the United States, I travel the world all the time. And other nations ask me, heads of state in other countries, ask me, what's going on? What in God's name happened on January 6th? What happened in Buffalo? What happened? they ask. We have to refuse to live in a country where black people going about a weekly grocery shopping can be gunned down by weapons of war, deployed in a racist cause. We have to refuse to live in a country where fear and lies are packaged for power and for profit. We must all enlist in this great cause of America. This is work that requires all of us, presidents, politicians, commentators, citizens, None of us can stay in the sidelines. We have to resolve that here in Buffalo, that from the tragedy, this tragedy will come hope and light and life. It has to. And that on our watch, the sacred cause of America will never bow, never break, never bend. And the American we love, the one we love will endure. So to the families, from your pain, May we find purpose to live life worthy of the loved ones you lost. From a hymn based on the 91st Psalm the sung in my church. May he raise you up on eagles' wings and bear you on the breath of dawn. Make you to shine like the sun and hold you in the palm of his hand. That's my wish for us we can do this if we resolve to do it if we take on the haters and those who don't even care it's just about profit and politics may the soul of the fallen rest in peace and rise in glory and may god guide the united states of america now and always to the families My grandpa used to say when I walked out of his home in Scranton, he'd say, Joey, spread the faith. And my grandma would yell, no, Joey. I mean, he'd say, keep the faith. My grandma would say, no, Joey, spread the faith. We're thinking of you. Hold on each other tightly. Stick together. You'll get through this. And we'll make Buffalo and the United States a better place to live than it is today.
0: All right, so that was the president. Yeah, a l- l- little bit of a uh, little bit of the demagoguery there, a little bit of the divisiveness, but that's Joe. That's what you should expect. He's he's so different than Donald Trump, aren't we so glad he got elected? <laughs> it is amazing to me how the people who claimed to want such a different kind of president put this man in charge. All right. Uh I actually have yeah, I mean, I just I do not even I don't even want to go back down this path because now I'm seeing there's another um, there's another story here. I'm just reading it as uh, the president was speaking. It's from the Daily Beast, which I know it's the Daily Beast. But um, the Buffalo shooter, turdface Face McLoser, as I referred to him, uh, put the name of Waukesha Christmas Parade victim on the rifle that he used. Yeah. Did you hear this? The rifle used in the Buffalo Massacre was marked up with the name of the, the names, I guess, of those killed in a deadly car attack on a Wisconsin parade, an incident that has been dubiously seized on. There you go. There's the seizing. If you're not pouncing, you're seizing. Am I right, media? That's right dubiously seized on by far right extremists as an example of anti-white crime. You see how they frame that? So is this is the Buffalo massacre being seized on by far left extremists as an example of anti-black crime? Is that what's happening now? No, of course not. Now we're being treated to these these pleadings from the president. Let's reject white supremacy. Like, seriously, who uh, you want a show of hands? Like, how big of a problem do you think white supremacy is? Like, is it like one percent of all white people? Is it 10 percent of all white people? Hashtag not all white people. Is it 50 percent? How big is it? This car attack in Waukesha that is referenced. Yeah, that was also a hate crime. That guy also drove down the street to try to kill white Christian people in Waukesha. So. What is there to seize upon just because far right white supremacists and all of their 16 followers, they uh, like they they seized on it, too, that they used it as proof that black people are killing white people. So what? So that, so it didn't happen. So what the right wing is now freaking out about it, as the Daily Beast reporter calls it, freaking out. Kind of like you guys are freaking out right now about the Buffalo massacre. People should freak out about all of that stuff. There are people actively trying to engage in this racialized narrative crafting, so you should reject it all. Um. One line was misspe- the, uh, One line was the misspelled name of Virginia Sorensen, a member of the Dancing Grannies parade troupe, who was killed in the city of Waukesha during the annual Christmas parade. A law enforcement source uh, tells Daily Beast to uh, do the line may be uh, the name of another parade victim as well. Um, as the Daily Beast previously reported, far right actors homed in on posts attributed to the driver of the Waukesha. Massacre, in which he shared anti-Semitic content. Oh, isn't that interesting? So the guy who drove the car through the crowd in Wisconsin, anti-Semite, and the guy who shot up the supermarket in Buffalo, anti-Semite. Interesting. I wonder if there's some sort of a connection there, guys. What do you think? Maybe? Could there? I don't know. It's too difficult to tell. It's a little bit murky. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110, 1-800-WBT-1110. If you want to weigh in on any of the uh, primary election stuff, I'm also kind of going over the president's visit up in Buffalo today. Uh, You can do that by calling. You can also email Pete at thepetecalendorshow.com, and that's K-A-L-I-N-E-R, calendar. You can also hit me up on the Twitter, at Pete Callender. Um. Also, oh, let me do this. Thank you to JG out of Mooresville for the very nice uh, handwritten note praising me. So I just I want to thank him for that. I am an able replacement. I appreciate that. <laughs> Local focus and keen insights. I appreciate the kind words. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And for taking the time to write that j g um and thank you very much also for sending it to the bosses that's that is yeah that's always good to do um so I going back over this piece here that I'm reading at the Daily Beast, which again it is the Daily Beast I recognize that but i I consume media right from as many different perspectives as I can and the Daily Beast allows me to check the box for the stupid media. That's what that allows me to do. I appreciate. Okay, I appreciate. I appreciate that uh, they do the work of being so high on the dumbassery spectrum that I can basically read them and get a good handle on what on what the the Moonbat Brigade far left nutball wing is thinking. Okay, so. Uh, Daily Beast reporting that the guy who went in and shot up the Buffalo supermarket, who uh, targeted black people, and when you read like his 180-page uh, screed, it is clear he is insane, much like virtually everybody that does these types of mass attacks on innocent people, they're nuts much like the guy in Waukesha was the driver of the car. But what's interesting to me in the way this is framed by the Daily Beast, it's framed as the thoughts that the Waukesha driver was some sort of racially motivated attacker. They dismiss this as just some sort of a concoction among Klansmen, basically. The far right, racist... They're the only—they're the only ones who are saying that the Waukesha driver was motivated by racial animus, but that's not true. You know how—you know how I know that's not true, because the driver himself said it. He said it on his social media profile. Again, I don't name these guys, so I'll call him. Uh, uh, we'll call him uh, Poop Smear. How about that? Sorry, I know, it's, I know it's the lunch hour. My apologies, I'm just I'm not used to working inside of eating hours, you know? So, um, <laughs> the guy, I'll, I'll think of a different name. So, the Waukesha driver who mowed down all those people at the Christmas parade with his vehicle, the Daily Beast frames it as if, oh no, he was just fleeing from the police, remember? Remember that story? That was the original story. Daily Beast is still regurgitating that garbage. Still regurgitating that. They're like, oh, yeah, he was trying to do as much damage as possible, zigging and zagging and aiming towards people, but we have no idea what possibly motivated him. Still to this day, this is a piece that was written today. But you go back to the New York Post from November 24th, And the New York Post, they found his social media profile. They include numerous posts attacking police officers, comparing them to the Klan, calling them violent street gangs, and calling for violence towards white people. Yeah. Uh, He talked about knocking people out, walking down the street, you know, knocking people out, just knocking them out. Um, White people, of course. He shared disturbing anti-Semitic memes, one of which appeared to align with beliefs of the Black Hebrew Israelites. You remember those moonbats, those nutballs? Those were the guys that were out there screaming at the school, Covington Catholic School, right? Wasn't that the yeah Sandman, Nicholas Sandman, was at the Washington Memorial, and uh, they got the he- the Black Hebrew Israelites, and they're screaming and yelling. And they're antagonizing people and calling them white devils and all this. That yeah, those guys, they're crazy. And they're kind of violent. Just a heads up on that. Um, he says World War III would start when people learned that Hitler was right. Oh yeah, yeah, this guy was total anti-Semite. Um, anyway, point is, Daily Beast is still laundering narratives. For the left on this and, and and just wants to hand wave away that the guy in Buffalo was aware of the truth. Right. He was aware of the truth. I said this yesterday. It's very similar to like uh, it's very similar to kids who start dabbling in pot because they start smoking weed and they realize, oh, this isn't so bad. People told me, don't do it. It's terrible. It's going to, you know, destroy my brain and all of this. And then they try it and they realize it didn't do those things. So then they start doubting everything that was told to them. This also happens, by the way, with people who never have their ideas challenged uh, with regard to their faith. They go off to college. They meet their first uh, atheist professor who asks them some questions they've never heard before. And it shatters their faith. You got to prepare people. Unchallenged ideas are easy to hold. That's why I say it.